Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey folks, we're back with another episode. Um, Today we're going to get into some listener questions. We're going to talk about homemade ghee, spirulina, health benefits and drawbacks, cooking oils in their smoke points talking about what are the better options, and then also laws, rules, regulations for dietitians in the U.S. and beyond. And then finally, we will get into a discussion about lectins and nightshades. Quite a little smorgasbord. Yeah, we're all over the map today. Yep. So Kyle, it's been a while. Yes. Hey, everyone, I'm Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You've got some big news that I'm excited to talk about. Uh, Kyle is going to be joining the ranks of Super Soul Sunday, giving a big talk. (laughs) A big talk. It's my TED talk. (laughs) Yeah, big deal. Big deal. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you you dove into that, huh? (laughs) Okay. Um, I think it's pretty mage. I get a few things. So my website, I had a website before. It was done by uh, a guy who really never hit it off with, but the contract was signed before I knew it. And yeah, you know, when you don't have a good relationship with with the person who's kind of supposed to be... um, creating your brand so to speak uh, the website didn't turn out so great so i had somebody else uh elaine from the sunrise studios in Asheville. it's a woman owned and operated um branding company she did my website over rootdownnutrition.com and it is it's amazing it's it's like more than i could have asked for so i'm super super pumped about that um and like my services are on there. I have a nice page all about Beauty Counter. So I finally have a place where I feel really proud to send people. Um, so that's really great. And then I have a little Facebook business page. I'm just, yeah, I've been seeing clients like secretly <laughs> since last year. Um, just here and there, just still trying to kind of figure out what I wanted to what I wanted to offer, what worked, what didn't work, what would be the best for my clients. And I I'm in a good groove right now and I think I've really nailed it down. So I've started to kind of um I wanted to share it with everyone. And then so that's really cool. So go to the website, check that out, go to the Facebook page. Um that's just root down nutrition too and check that out. And then yeah, ironically work asked me if I would be a presenter at this clinical symposium 
next month on functional nutrition. So why is that ironic? You are a functional nutritionist. I, I think it's it was ironic because I had planned, you know this, I had planned on creating a talk. Um, that was one of my goals for 2019. And before I could even really get started on it, work asked me to create a talk. So it was just ironic in the sense of like, I was already planning on doing it, but they, it definitely pushed me to really kind of hit the ground running little so. little little uh, fire under yield bum <laughs> yeah yeah it was a, quite a shove um so that is coming up end of may it's not public so no you know no one can come um but i'm really excited about it um and i think my plan is once that is over to start to um present it more to the public around asheville and just kind of super soul sunday super soul sunday thank you for coming to my ted talk it's gonna be great five people (laughs) one of which is your mom (laughs) seriously thanks mom kyle smile smile (laughs) mom well, Anyways. that is all exciting stuff. I know. Baby's growing up, Erin. Yeah. Baby's yeah. growing up. Um, baby's first website. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what's new with you? Um, Just going through a little bit of a restructuring. I feel like I'm always doing this. It's I'm like in constant flux with my business, which is just how I've like always run things. So why change now? Um, I kind of had... Oh, you know, like you know all of this, but I've I've kind of had a moment where I looked around and I'm like, huh, I'm f- I couldn't recognize my stress. Like I didn't, I wasn't able to like say, oh my gosh, I'm under a lot of stress. But I went and I got a massage. First of all, shout out to Wendy Durham. She is in Exeter, New Hampshire. If you guys are looking for a massage therapist, you have to go to her. So she's phenomenal with her, you know, with like the hands-on work, but she also kind of read your body. I don't know how to describe it. She basically does like an intuitive read on what your body is telling her. And it like blew me wide open. It like knocked my socks off, like blew the doors open, like all the things. Um, I left like pretty much sobbing afterwards. (laughs) I was just going to say, did you cry? I always feel like like really good massages just open up the floodgates. They open up the floodgates. I had to just like go into the woods and be by myself for the rest of the day because I'm like, that was intense. Um, You went to the ferns? I I did. I went to the ferns. (laughs) And um, it it just made me like realize, A, how stressed out I was. Um, B, like really evaluate the things that that are working, the things that aren't, and just being like super, super honest with myself. And so I'm just tweaking some things because I kind of realized when I started working with my business coach last summer, he was like, all right, what's your max capacity for individual clients? And I gave him a number and he was like, your max capacity, like where you wouldn't have to change your lifestyle in order to accommodate more one-on-one clients. So I gave him a number and that number kept getting bumped up like I would be like, well, more people are reaching out, so I'm going to bump the number up. And that there was like no ceiling on that. I just kept bumping it up and bumping it up. And it's because when people reach out to me, I want to work with them. Um, I really, really do. I don't like saying, I don't like turning people down because I want 
you know, I want to help as many people as possible. And it just kind of put me in a, a tricky situation where I want to help as many people as possible, but there's only one of me and I only have so much time. So like, what do I do? So I'm, I have closed the doors to my membership. I am not taking any more one-on-one clients right now. I have a full client load. I'm going to, you know, dive into everybody that I'm currently working with. And, um, really looking to figure out a way to make my services more accessible um, because people need them, you know, and people need the functional work and people need the functional labs and people need answers and they need the education. So I'm really looking to create more group programs that offer those functional test uh, lab tests and offer my analyzation and protocols, but without as much one-on-one time. So big things are happening. Um, It's going to require a tremendous amount of time, effort, and energy. So I have to give myself that time in order to create it. You know, these things just don't happen overnight. So that's kind of what what's going on. And if you guys have been like listening to the show for, you know, the year and a half that we've been doing it, you might remember I went through something similar last spring where I was like, I need a little bit of a break. I'm going to backpedal. And then giving myself the space to do that was like one of the greatest decisions that I've made because so many things um, were able to come to me. It's like clearing out mental white space and waiting for the next like big um, inspiration to come in. You know what I mean? Like yes. that inspiration, that creativity doesn't happen when you're jam when your schedule is jam packed and you're super busy and super stressed out. Like you have to actually create some space in your life for that to happen. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, I mean, all of the things that everyone needs, you can't give the way that you want to and the way that you um, they need you to give if you're burnt out so you just you got to play the long game and you got to practice what you preach and I think it's I think it's just one of your best qualities that you're able to kind of like pause when you start to feel like okay something something doesn't feel right anymore so I'm going to pause and I'm going to take some space and I'm going to see what comes up and what my next steps are rather than just kind of keep um you know, pedal to the metal and until you burn out or until, you know, you're not able to do the kind of work that you know you want to do. Um, so I think it's, I think whatever you're going to come back with, it's, it's going to be awesome because yeah. you took the time. Well, I think that's just like my biggest fear is that I get to a point where I'm just so burnt out that I'm like, I actually don't even want to do this anymore. Right. You know, and and like the practitioner burnout is real. I would love to have somebody come on the show and talk a little bit more about that because I know we do have some practitioners that listen to the show. That would be so cool to me because it's like, you know, the people that are, you know, there's a, there, it's just a real thing. You know, a lot of practitioners start to feel burnt out and it's just such a bummer because there's such a need for good practitioners that how do we, I don't know, how do we bolster ourselves up? Yeah, we have a lot of that in Asheville because there's so many um, entrepreneurs that and there's so many people in um, like the healing space where they're either therapists or they're nutritionists and the work that they're doing, it's just it's hard to not absorb some of the energy that that people are bringing into those one on one sessions. 
Um, and Asheville has a lot of like workshops and seminars for practitioners all around uh, emotional burnout because it's just it's so common. So, yeah, that would be really cool to have somebody else, someone come on the show and talk about that. I'm going to put you on the job. Find somebody down there. <clears throat> okay. Um, all right. Well, with all that aside, so exciting things happening. Yeah. You know, head over to Kyle's website. I'll post the link in the show notes. Check her out. And uh, look at me. Look at you go, girl. All right. You want to you want to read the, yeah. the yeah. first question? Okay. That's enough of that. Uh, first one is from Maureen Desalt. Uh, I, re- I just recently started listening to your podcast and I'm enjoying the information you provide. I would like to know why, why you recommend certain brands for ghee, but don't discuss how simple it is to make it home and certainly more cost effective. I've heard you discuss making your own bone broth, which is why I wondered why not ghee? So at first when I read this question, I was like, Jesus, Maureen, can I live? <laughs> God, I'm so tired. We're Don't so get me tired, Maureen. We're so tired. I just I just can't be the pioneer woman churning her own butter. I'm just doing enough. I'm not homesteading. Nope. Um but then I was like, actually, this is a really good question. So yes. the first and uh the first thing I want to point out is like, obviously, you guys know me, you know us, we do a lot of stuff from scratch. And um, I think some things just have to fall by the wayside, like you can't do it all and do it all well. And this is just one of those places where I'm like, willing to pay the money to have the work done for me. And I think we all just have to make that choice individually, like no matter what it is. But really, the the main reason that I prefer to buy ghee is because I'm very sensitive to casein and lactose. So I'm sensitive to milk sugars and the protein in, in milk. Um, and even though the process of making your own ghee will remove most, if not all, of the casein and lactose, I just need to see because I've dealt, I've been through the ringer with health and with food sensitivities that I actually like want to see that it's lab certified. Like I want that validation. It just makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. So I always um, seek out brands that are casein and lactose free. Um, Tin Star Food, Fourth and Heart. We've talked about both of those on the show before. Those are two brands that I really like. If I'm in a pinch, I'll get Organic Valley. Um, it's just not as good. It's not as tasty. Um and they're made in bigger, like larger batches, but it's easy to find. So those are the brands that I tend to gravitate towards. And then as far as bone broth goes, I feel like that's, for me, that's, I, I view it a little bit different. Um, it works for me for a number of different reasons. Number one, it supports top to tail eating, which is just a more sustainable approach to eating animals. So if I, I already will have the chicken carcass, like let's say I roast a chicken, I have the chicken carcass right there. So I have two options. I can throw it out or I can make a bone broth out of it. So for me, it's just, you know, it's just an easy thing to do. Um, and if I'm going to the butcher, if I'm going to the farm, I can grab a ba- bag of knuckle bones or I can grab some chicken feet, whatever, and just have them on hand. Whereas, you know, I'm usually not buying butter. I mean, I suppose I could with the intention of making ghee, but it's not, it's just not something that I, I tend to do. Um, and honestly, in terms of bone broth, in order to buy the amount, like if you think about it, when you use broth, you use it in pretty large quantities because you're making, you know, you're, you know, using it to make rice or you're making a soup or something like that. And you have to, you know, that's the requires a, a big amount of broth. So to buy that amount of broth 
good quality, it would be pretty expensive. So companies like Epic, Kettle and Fire, those are two companies that make like real bone broth. Um, so expensive. It's it's really, really expensive to, to buy that. So like that just seems a little bit silly to me. Um, I w- for all my local folks out there, Vernon Family Farm makes their um makes broth and they sell it at the farm store um that's pretty reasonably priced i think it's like maybe seven six or seven dollars for a quart um maybe more i don't know i don't know really good is quart yeah like what's ice cream that's a pint so quart is like a couple of those yeah (laughs) um yeah that sounds good (laughs) How many gallons is like I can I don't know but anyway it's affordable and when I'm when I'm in a pinch I'll I'll get that and I'll keep some in the freezer and the way that I like view this type of thing is like we have two main commodities time and money and like I have to be able to be willing to give up one of those right it's either gonna require a a good part of, you know a good chunk of my time to make it. Or if I'm not willing to give up that time, it's going to cost me money. Um, and that's just the way that I approach food. And I, I do think that there's, we've talked about this a bazillion times on the show before, but I think there's this sense of entitlement with food where we're 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 not willing to gig, give up either of those because we've been so spoiled. We really don't think that we should have to. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah. we, it's just like sort of a given. Uh, we want fast, cheap, and easy. And unfortunately, it's hard to get quality when you're looking for a fast, cheap and easy. And to me, it just really showcases how how little value we place on food. So that's kind of a bummer. But really, for me, the ghee thing is just um, it's more about the the food sensitivities there. I have I have a bunch of cookbooks that have um, ghee recipes and it always looks easy. And I I like ghee, but I I use it. It's not like the, the only cooking oil you know or fat that I'm using so yeah. I guess I just have never um been drawn to make my own but it does seem really easy and straightforward um and honestly like that would have been something for the Christmas show like Maureen make a bunch of ghee give it to all your friends and family I would love to get a jar of homemade ghee from someone that's seriously. a great idea yeah. Um, so my favorite ghee is Goddess Ghee. It's a local Asheville company. It's just so, so good. And I was poking around on their um, website. And I, since we're talking about it, did you know that ghee is not the same as clarified butter? I only know that from the Goddess Ghee website from reading their her website. Right. I, I always thought that they were the same, but uh, I guess... On their website, it said clarified butter is what made it's made when the milk solids separate from the butter, leaving a clarified butter oil. But it doesn't become ghee until after the milk solids have then been caramelized, giving it that kind of like nutty, toasty flavor. And then that also, that second kind of step, um, make sure that all the moisture is evaporated from the oil. So that's... That was a little interesting thing. And another thing, I just like did this deep dive on their website, I guess. But do you keep your ghee in the fridge? Well, no, I don't. I never have. <laughs> One of the questions, they have like a, a frequently asked questions. And it was, how long is your ghee 
um, shelf stable. And it says if it's sealed well and doesn't acquire moisture, it will keep without refrigeration for three months. If it's kept sealed and refrigerated, it will keep for up to a year. So I can tell you right now, my ghee is... Older than three months, not well, refrigerated. Well, we go through it quicker than three months, I will say that. But, you know, how long has it been sitting on the grocery shelf before it gets to us? Ooh. You know, so that's why I'm like, hmm, suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's, that's Ghee in the fridge point. from here on out. And the whole the whole caramelization of, of the milk solids thing, I bet that's why her ghee tastes so much better than, like, anything else I've ever tasted. I think Tin Star Foods is, is really good, too. But, um it's it's probably because they take that additional step whereas maybe some folks like maybe organic valley is more of like a clarified butter yes organic valley yeah it's like that is an in a pinch not something that you're yeah you can really taste the difference Mm -hmm. all right cool all right go maureen keep keep doing you (laughs) uh next up Okay, you want me to read this one? Yeah. Wilson Plans from Instagram asked, I heard you talk about spirulina before, and I'm wondering what the details, what are the details about it? I read somewhere that it's good for anxiety. What would be your thoughts on that? Listen to your podcast, so I'm hoping others have the same question. Thanks a million. All right, cool. Spirulina. Um, It's a blue-green algae. Um, so you guys might have, might see it. It's, you know, it's, it's the things in smoothies that give it that like deep blue, blue green color. Uh, it comes in a powder form. You can get it at most health food stores. Oftentimes you can buy it in bulk depending on where you are. I know I talk about the mustard seed a lot here in Nottingham and they have it in bulk. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just a type of algae. It's a very nutrient dense food, basically like anything that's deeply pigmented. It's going to be chock full of nutrients. Um, it contains essential amino acids, which means it's a complete protein. So that's kind of cool. Um, contains GLA, which is sort of an elusive fatty acid. GLA is a little bit tricky to find, but like super, super healthy for you. Uh, another great source of it is hemp seeds and hemp oil, just as an FYI. Um, P.S. If you buy hemp oil, make sure you keep it in the refrigerator. I went to my mom's. We were in Florida visiting my mom's. And she has like all these like top-notch oils and like none of them are stored appropriately. And I was like, oh, she had hemp oil in the cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, throw it out, Cher Bear. Throw that right out. It's not good anymore. Anyway, um, let's see. Uh, spirulina also contains B vitamins, but I want to be really clear, and I'm going to talk about this in a second. Um, it's not a reliable source of B12. So it does contain some B vitamins. Don't use it as a B12 source. It also has calcium, phosphorus, iron, actually pretty highly av- a bioavailable iron. So it's a, it's a good way to get iron into um, into your system. Has a little bit of iodine, like most things from the sea do. And then has a lot of antioxidants, uh, carotenoids like beta carotene, chlorophyll borophyll. Uh, <laughs> do you know what that's from? Is it from Billy Madison? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's like, where did that? I can't see the word chlorophyll without More meaning. like borophyll. <laughs> oh, uh, that was weird. Okay. Um, and because it has 
all of these antioxidants. And again, anything like super deeply pigmented is going to be chock full of antioxidants. It has that free radical scavenging activity, which is just super helpful to protect against any type of oxidative stress. And it also helps to improve mitochondrial function. So all good things. Um, it also has antiviral, anti-inflammatory, anti-diabetic, antibacterial, and lipid lowering properties. And all of this is based off of PubMed studies. Like this is all like legit researched backed stuff. Um, it's not just like some YouTuber or blogger being like, spirulina is great for detox. Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's like, <laughs> this is actually legit. Having said that though, it's, you know, it's not the thing that's going to fix all of your problems. There's no one food that can fix all of your problems. I do, I eat spirulina often. I've been eating it probably for 15 years. I add it to my smoothies. Um, it's. I just see it as a good way to get variety into my diet. Um, I don't eat a ton of algae outside of spirulina. So it just packs a nutrient punch. Um, so I just, I just view it as an antioxidant rich, you know, way to get more nutrients and more variety into my diet. Um, I personally have always liked it with blueberries and lime. So like yeah. I'll do, yeah, I like spirulina. Uh, this is one I used to make all the time back in the day. I, I would do like a little bit of pineapple, frozen blueberries, spirulina, lime juice, and then like coconut milk. I just like those flavors together. It's a little bit salty. Um, is that how you would describe spirulina? It's like it I've like always a... added it to smoothies, and honestly, I don't know that I've ever really tasted a difference. Okay, um, well, there you go. One thing I want to point out: um, a lot of vegans and vegetarians will use it as a source of B twelve because, as we know, um, B twelve is found in animals. Um, it is also found in some algae, but spirulina is not necessarily one of them. So even if it says on the nutrition label uh, B12, you can't really trust that because spirulina contains B12 analogs. They're also known as pseudo uh, pseudo vitamin B12. It's basically something that looks exactly like B12, um, but it's bio, uh, it's, it's inactive in humans. So um, do you remember, I don't know, I remember, who is our um, biochemistry teacher, Dr. Becker? Dr. Beck. Dr. Beck. I remember raising my hand when he was talking about B12 and being like, can you talk about B12 analogs? And because <laughs> for this exact reason, for spirulina, and he was like his eyes wide and he was like, oh my God, this is the greatest question ever because he got to geek out. Oh, um, he always had chalk all over himself. He was such a mess, but he was such a <laughs> lovely person and a very yes, smart man, but a disaster of a human being. Uh. Um, anyway, so don't, that's a that's a sort of a point to to really think about if you're a vegetarian or vegan. You could, It doesn't mean you can't use B12, or excuse me, spirulina. Just don't use it as your source of B12. Make sure you're getting another source of B12 in there. So what about the anxiety stuff? Yeah, I don't, I don't know where that came from. Um, I know I tried to look look for it too. And I just, I think 
maybe that's like a marketing ploy. Like I'm trying to think of like why somebody would say that. I mean, you could sort of extrapolate that nutrient deficiencies, particularly B vitamins and B12 can lead to anxiety. And for that reason, a nutrient dense food could potentially alleviate those symptoms. I think it's a bit of a stretch. I think we're kind of reaching there. Um, I've certainly never once suggested to a client that they have to, or they should start taking spirulina for anxiety. Yeah, I was thinking the B vitamins too. And I was also wondering like, I couldn't find anything that talked about the anxiety piece and then actually gave a recommendation around quantity. And honestly, I just, uh, I was sitting here thinking about eating large amounts of spirulina every day. And just thinking about that made me anxious. So I'm not sure how practical that would be for lowering anxiety. I, I'm pretty sure medical medium is like big, big up on spirulina for like having metal detox. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that came from him. Um, in terms of anxiety, we've, we've talked about this a little bit on the show before. I would check out episode 47. We talked about supporting mental health with food. So that would be a good episode to check out. When I hear anxiety, if somebody, if a client comes to me with anxiety, the first things that I think about are the first one's always going to be blood sugar dysregulation. Um, so check out episode 55. I talk about that a lot. Um, the second thing's going to be thyroid dysfunction. So check out episode 49. Um, also adrenal dysfunction, which always pretty much always goes hand in hand with the first two things I just talked about. And then finally, problems in the gut. So, um, you know, think more about like the, the, the reason for the anxiety versus like, what could I take? What supplement could I take? Yeah, don't use spirulina as like a medication. Think about what what's causing the anxiety in the first place. Okay, cool. Uh, so next question is from Andrea Plevin, Plevin, and she wants to know about cooking oils. Hi, Erin and Kyle. I have issues with cooking in coconut and palm oil. They are mostly saturated fats and thus stable and are recommended for cooking even at high heat. However, when I saute with them, they start to smoke very quickly. I know that smoke point isn't everything, but it just does not seem right. I don't understand how coconut oil is used as a saute oil all over the paleo world when it smokes so quickly. I have unrefined coconut oil, but I believe that this happened to me with refined as well. Thank you, and thanks for the amazing podcast. So we did a whole entire episode on healthy cooking fats and oils. It might have been episode three. It was one of like the very first early. ones. Yeah. So go check that out. Um, oh God. What are you what are you doing for self-care? Please fast forward through the first 10 minutes. <laughs> we it was I mean we were just trying to do the trying different thing. things. Try we tried some things. some different hats on for size. <laughs> that one didn't fit. We did a self-care segment. In the beginning of every episode where we talked about what we were doing for self-care. It'd be like 20 minutes long before we'd even start. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, it was, yeah. People are like, off the deep end. nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. You know Just what doesn't know my self-care? Listening to YouTube for 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how we didn't get some sort of like weird review. I don't either. Everyone was really nice. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, what do you think okay. about coconut oil? So unrefined coconut oil only has a smoke point of 350, which is not high. Uh, Refined coconut oil will bring it up to 400. I use the unrefined when I don't mind the coconut flavor and um, the refined when I want a little bit of a higher smoke point and not as much of a noticeable coconut flavor. 
It's the same kind of thing with refined avocado oil. That's supposed to have a smoke point of about 500. um, But just like with coconut oil, it's only with the refined. If it's unrefined avocado oil, it's going to be back down to around 350. So if you're looking to cook something at a higher temp, you can use the refined coconut or avocado oils. Um, They're just not going to be as, you're not going to get the nutritional benefits that would be in the unrefined versions. And remember that heat and light cause oils to oxidize, which is why you want to store them in a dark bottle and in a dark place. Um, And also that's why we care about the smoke point, because if heat and light cause them to oxidize, then we don't want to heat them past their smoke point. Um, But like I said, 350 is a relatively low smoke point for unrefined oils, but these are the healthiest oils. So you can either opt to use them with a lower cooking temp temp or raw, um, or you can use the, the refined. Another tip that I'll add, and, and this might be obvious to her, she might already be doing this, but you never know. Another tip is to wait to add the oil to the pan once it's hot, rather than heating up the oil as you heat up the pan. So heat the pan first, add the oil just long enough for it to melt, then add your food. That way the oil wasn't sitting in the hot pan getting hotter and hotter before you've even added food to it, which is definitely going to cause it to smoke faster. Um, And then another tip I thought of, and again, this might be really obvious, but it really depends on your pan and your stove you might just really need to turn the temp down. Like when I cook with my cast iron, it gets crazy hot and retains so much heat that sometimes I have my burner at just a smidge above off. Um, And it's just maintaining enough heat to cook everything. Um, Yeah, so if you have the heat too high, obviously it's going to smoke a lot faster and the food's going to have an easier chance of burning. Like stuff like if you're cooking and pay attention to what's happening to the food that you're cooking when you're starting to see the smoke too. Like if you're cooking onions and garlic, are they browning too too fast? Then that's another sign that your pan is, is just too hot. Yeah, I mean, and I think from just from a health perspective, low and slow is just going to be the healthiest way to cook. Like that yeah. moist, wet heat is going to produce a healthier benefit. Um, you know, so like slow cooker, you know, that kind of stuff. But I also, I don't just eat for health. I also eat for enjoyment. And I actually like things like pretty crispy and singed. So I just try to do a, you know, a healthy mix of like low and slow type cooking food that I enjoy a little bit more, which tend to be a little bit crispier, and then like raw foods too, you know, just like mix it all up. But ultimately from a health standpoint, um, it's it's just a little bit better for you on low yeah, for and veggies, slow. You could um, steam them and then so that they're cooked and you don't have to have them in the pan for that long and then just throw them in the pan and just kind of like flash cook them um, that way. So the oil isn't doesn't have a chance to really sit in there and and get too hot, but you're still able to get that crisp that you want. So. Oh, yeah. One of my, I totally forgot about this. I haven't made this in a while. One of my favorite ways to cook broccoli is to blanch it. So like just dunk it in boiling water for like a minute and then transfer it into a pan. And in the pan, I've just, I take garlic and um, in low heat, um, either coconut oil or a different type of oil, 
and garlic and then I add the broccoli to the pan and it's so effing good and then I'll throw in some crushed red pepper pepper flakes and a little bit and top it with sesame oil yes it's very yes all right next question is from Kayla Rain I love her name I know right all right her subject read Canadians eh (laughs) already like her yep she said so this is a three-part question um so I'll just read it all and then you can kind of break it down. Hi, Aaron and Kyle. I discovered your podcast on a search for the best holistic and functional medicine pods. Oh, damn. Did we did we rank somewhere? <laughs> Kayla Rain, Can you please, send us the list? Please let us know. I'm going to publish that <laughs> list everywhere. Um, I am in school for registered holistic nutrition practitioner. Your podcast has taught me so much and got me fired back up, taking better care of myself. Yay. And hoping to start a pod like yours and one day interview you. I love listening to your wealth of information, but since I live in Vancouver Island in BC, Canada, I often wonder this. Do you have any favorite practitioners, healers, products, companies, et cetera, in Canada or better yet, West Coast Vancouver area? Do you do any one-on-one coaching with clients in Canada? Also was wondering what your thoughts are on the new book, The Plant Paradox, and how big of a deal lectins really are. Also, nightshades? I am avoiding lectin-containing foods and nightshades, but limiting. I love me a Greek salad. P.S. If you ever come to Vancouver, I would love to meet you. Can I stay with you? Because I do want to come to Vancouver. <laughs> you know, can we do like <laughs> like the Ellen thing where we just show up in the dark at like 5 a.m. Just like <laughs> knock on her door. It's us. Yeah. We're here. Um, please have two beds for us. And I take my car <laughs> coffee dark. Um, all right. So what are you thinking? Okay. So... The Registered Holistic Practitioner Program sounds cool. Um, I also want to go to Vancouver so bad. So for the first question about favorite practitioners, healers, products, all that, for practitioners, uh, Josh Gitalis. Megan Telpner's wife. Yeah. <laughs> he is a certified nutritional practitioner, and he did all functional medicine training through the Institute for Functional Medicine. And I think he was like the first Canadian nutritionist to um, become board certified through their certification. So he took all of the advanced practice modules and passed the exam. So he's an integrative functional medicine um, or Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner. But he's he's awesome. You should check out his website. Um I'm probably following other Canadian practitioners on social media, but since so many people work virtually virtually now, he was the first one to come to mind. And his wife, Megan Telpner, she's also a nutritionist and founded the Academy of Culinary Nutrition and has a culinary nutrition expert program. Another one that I thought of Wait, was... Wait, are they in Vancouver? I think... Are they on the West Coast? Uh, oh, I... They're in Canada. <laughs> okay, so Canada's... So Kyle, here's... The, <laughs> this has been something I've struggled with my whole life. I just... I don't know where they're based out of, but anyway. we that These might not be um, specific. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, another one is Fiona McCullough. She's a um, naturopath uh, in Toronto. Erin is... Any West Coast? 
East Coast? It's not the West Coast. (laughs) (laughs) She's the owner of White Lotus uh, Integrative Medicine. She specializes in PCOS, women's hormones, fertility, thyroid. I've uh, listened to podcasts that she's been on. Check her out. She's super knowledgeable. What else? Meg? Meg, but she's not taking on any more clients anymore. Oh, well, still good to follow. Meg, on... yeah, Meg Dahl. She's been on the show before and she's Canadian based. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you do any one on one coaching with clients in Canada? I, I do. I work with people in Canada. I have clients in Canada right now, as a matter of fact. So, uh, being a, an RD is kind of like a blessing and a curse. In I'm an some outlaw. Ways. <laughs> yeah, you I'm are. I'm a rebel an outlaw. without a cause. So much of the U.S. is a red state, which basically means that you have to be licensed to provide medical nutrition therapy. So there's this whole licensure map of the United States that dictates what you're allowed to do in terms of medical nutrition therapy and whether or not you have to have a license to to practice that. Um, it's pretty confusing because... It dep- It just totally depends on what that particular state, uh, what their laws are. So some states will only recognize RDs, and they're the only people allowed to legally provide MNT. Some states allow non-RDs to practice, but will still have re- requirements about what their training and credentials are. So like if you're um, a CNS, a certified nutrition specialist, which you need a master's to have, but not an RD, you could practice in some states. Um, In other states, if it's like a green state, basically anyone can practice. And there might be some regulations around their scope of practice, like they're only allowed to do health coaching and general education, not MNT. And then there are other states that don't require a license at all for anyone. So really anyone can practice there. New Hampshire, you don't, you can... You can practice without uh, a license. If you're an RD, you can't. You have to have a license in order to practice, but you don't need a license to practice nutrition in the state of New Hampshire. Yeah. It's weird. It's It's like there's a weird... It's really weird. It's really confusing, and it's made being, you know, having a virtual business... um, complicated so and I'm not an expert on this by any means a lot of dietitians still get really confused by this but and the more states that you work with um, the more kind of digging you have to do to figure out what you can and can't do and if you have to be pay to be licensed in each state that you work with clients in so that can that can add up you're allowed to have a ton of different licenses in all different states, but you have to pay annually for all of that. So, um, so what's the difference? You might be wondering, like, what what does MNT mean, and why is this? How is this different from nutrition education? Basically, nutrition education is providing basic nutrition related information to someone. Medical nutrition therapy is providing diagnostic therapy and counseling service for the purpose of disease management. So it's conducting in-depth individualized assessments for somebody where you're setting priorities, you're establishing goals, and you're creating individualized action plans. Um, But there's like a lot of health coaches that are doing that. 
So yes. like, you know, so like what's the workaround there? Are they just, are they yeah, just. Yeah, so the only, so basically it's like a, that, I'm, I don't remember the saying, but it was like, like do it and ask for forgiveness after kind of thing. That's exactly what it is. So a nutritionist or a health coach can basically do whatever the heck they want. Um, and then the way that they would get caught is somebody would report them to the board of um, dietitians and nutritionists in that state. And the board would then send them a letter being like, stop that. And that's it. <laughs> like that is Stop it. I don't like that. That's like what Patty ha- um, says at preschool. That's it. So most, a lot of times, like they just kind of fly under the radar and yeah, nobody reports them. Nobody bothers. And, but this is where it gets really difficult because if you're in one of those states that doesn't require any licensure, then really anyone could call themselves a nutritionist. This is why... Erin and I get so fired up when when you go on somebody's website and they don't have any of their credentials, any of their training, that you can't see if they're doing any continuing ed, like none of that. Like I shouldn't have to go on your LinkedIn to figure out like how you became able to use the title that you're using. Like I want total transparency. So I feel like, you know, if if you're having a hard time finding out what somebody's qualifications are, you might consider that a red flag depending on the work that they're doing. If they're just doing nutrition, you know, coaching and basic education, cool. I like I want more people out there doing that. But if they're creating, you know, customized programs for people or running these like detox groups, then I think that's where you are absolutely working out of your scope of practice. Um So, yeah, and then it gets even more confusing with telehealth because then the laws aren't based on where you're practicing. If you have a client that's in another state, you have to follow that state's laws. Not Yours don't matter at that point. You have to figure out if you're allowed to even practice um, within that state. Some states might say, yeah, you can, but you have to pay to have a license in this state too. So it just gets to be ridiculous i've actually seen um several dietitians not renew their license because they want to keep the rd but they just don't even want to bother with the license anymore which is interesting that is interesting there's just so many ways to do it and i think that's kind of like the whole point of all of this is like kind of figure out what exactly you want to do i know we have a ton of practitioners that listen to the show that's why we're going so in depth here but figure out like what do you want to do what is the scope of practice like how important is license license getting a license to you like is it necessary in your state all that kind of stuff and these are things that you know you really want to look into before you embark on this long educational journey wouldn't you think yes i mean if i I have learned a lot and I still work in a clinical hospital setting as an RD. I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't an RD, but if I had to do it over, I really don't think that, I, I don't know if I would have become an RD because the program, it's just so, um, match the disease to the diet. And there's, There's just, you know, if that's not what you want to do, if you know you don't want to work in a hospital and you really want to use like more of like a food as medicine kind of approach, look, really do your research and look at 
the the curriculum. Look at the courses that you're going to be taking. You know, it, I don't know. There are so many great um, holistic-minded, functional, integrative programs out there that I don't know. If you never ha- want to work in a setting that requires you to be an RD, why go and be an RD? But I also think, and it's funny because I I obviously didn't become an RD for that exact reason. Um, but I think that if you are looking to create a career in nutrition, I actually think getting a degree in nutrition and dietetics is important. Um, getting some background in science is really, really important. Um, it's it's yes. interesting. Like if some when somebody comes to me and they're like, "What should I do?" I'm kind of like. Just start by getting your RD or at least starting the education for it. And then you can figure out like continuing education and next steps and more holistic new training, more functional new training, but like get the basics down first. And I also think, I've said this before, um, I think we're going to be moving into a time and a space where qualifications and credentials are going to be increasingly more important. And I'm just saying this based on nothing but a hunch. Um, I think the general population's trust is very, very low. And it's for the exact same reason that you're talking about, Kyle. It's like anybody can call themselves a nutritionist and anybody can be like, I'm a nutrition coach. I'm this, I'm that with like no education. Like maybe they did like a six six month online program or something. And so we have a lot of talking heads in this space saying whatever they feel like. You know, it's like people shouting these half truths, like they're like the whole truth and everyone's getting so confused and um, I was telling you about this like a couple of weeks ago. I taught a workshop at Blaze Yoga and Pilates in um, in Portsmouth this past weekend. And the week prior, I was there taking a class and I was standing in line for the shower and there was a flyer up and some guy was like, oh, is that, is that you on the flyer? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And he's like, so are, are, are you a nutritionist? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, so do you do, you do that like part-time or like is that the only thing you do? And I was like, what a weird question. He was super friendly guy. He was not trying to be rude or anything, but I just thought like, what a weird question to ask. Like if somebody was like, I'm a dentist or I'm a lawyer or I'm a teacher, most people wouldn't be like, oh, is that like the only thing you do? Or is that like your side hustle? Or yeah. like, what do like you do? You were able to make that a full-time job? <laughs> but it just kind of... It, showcases how the general public looks at the field of nutrition and it's not in high regard. And I think it's because we've, I almost said polluted the waters and I don't know, maybe that's not accurate, but like there's just whether you're like an isogenics coach or you're a beach body coach or you're this or you're that or you're selling this or you're selling that, it's sort of like sullied the feel of nutrition a little bit, don't you think? I do think. I mean, the benefit of getting an RD is we all have to meet the same minimum qualifications. We all had to do internships. We all had to, you know, have a degree. So you have that kind of standard. You know, we have to do continuing education a certain amount every five years. Same with license. Like there's stuff that that forces you to stay up to date. But I would absolutely agree with that um it's just uh, yeah I think there's a lot of people out there that have reduced the science of nutrition down so much that it really it undervalues the people who are really science-based and aren't just you know calorie in calorie out 
or good at creating programs or really savvy at marketing, but like are actually understanding the science behind what's going on. I think, yeah, it definitely has kind of, it's undervalued that a bit because then you also get the differences in cost. You know, obviously a more qualified practitioner that has spent way more money on their education and continuing education is going to charge more um, because part of what you're paying for is they're continuing to stay up to date. Um, So then you get these people that are kind of like for the low, low price um, and and it makes it hard to you know, sometimes justify going to the um, the more qualified practitioner when you can get, you know, the advice that you think you're going to get from both people cheaper. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a very good point. It's back to the, like, quality and cost and all that kind yes. of stuff. All right. Well, hopefully we kind of answered her question. Um, all right. The next part of her question and the final thing we'll talk about, um, she's wondering about the book the plant paradox. Uh, they, the doctor, Dr. Gundry talks a lot about lectins and um, she's wondering, is that a legit? Yeah. I remember reading this book uh, a few years ago. And that was a bad summer, by the way. <laughs> it was just <laughs> so a bad, bad summer. Yeah, it was a bad summer. The, the problem with reading a book like that is the book is the book is supposed to make the reader feel as though this is what they're supposed to be doing. That's like how the book becomes successful is it's not just that people buy the book, but it's that people buy the book and then do the diet. Um, So I remember the summer that I read this and I missed the entire fall season at the farmer's market, trying to follow some of the recommendations. And I hated it. I didn't notice any difference health-wise. And I was so bummed out to miss out on potatoes, tomatoes, and peppers. And I just feel like if you're going to follow restrictions like that, make sure that you actually have to. Like, did a practitioner recommend you cutting out lectins or nightshades? Or are you just cutting it out because the book you know, made a really compelling argument. Um, Have you noticed any difference in your symptoms? Because if not, eat the foods. Notice if you can tell any difference. And at this point, if you've been avoiding them for a while, then you've basically done an elimination diet, which is a great, you know, time to add them back in and see if see if you notice any difference see if you really have to be avoiding them you know this question comes up pretty frequently um because of this book and i think i'm surprised that we haven't talked about on the show before actually so lectins i'll back up and say that lectins are uh proteins they're like little sticky proteins and they can be inflammatory in the body it tends to be more problematic for people that have this is what I see anyway. Um, I know he talks about them implicated in, in gut health, um, in cardiovascular disease, uh, all the, all sorts of things. I tend to see it more with, with joint pain, specifically with RA. Um, so what I suggest to people, if they're like, lectins, are they killing me? The problem is that lectins are in a lot of healthy foods. There are a lot of fruits and a lot of veggies. So if you start avoiding veggie, uh, excuse me, if you start avoiding lectins, you go down this rabbit hole of like what food is safe. And that's, that's the problem that I'm, I'm, I see with it. It's not that it's not 
valid. It's not that it doesn't have utility. It's just that it's like one more thing that people are like, oh crap, I can't eat this. Um, so what, what I say is that if you do have some significant health issues, if you do have RA, if you do have any type of joint pain, start by eliminating nightshades because nightshades are pretty high in lectins. So nightshades are going to be your white potatoes, eggplants, your tomatoes, your peppers, and then any spices that contain peppers. Um, that's why Kyle was saying she missed the whole farmer's market, the whole season of the farmer's market, because it's like, if you think about, you know, summer, you know, summer veggies, they're like everything I just mentioned. Um, avoid those things for like maybe a period of three weeks, four weeks. See how you do. If you notice a dramatic reduction of your symptoms, that could be a good indication that lectins are a problem for you. Um, and maybe all you have to do is avoid those super high lectin foods like the nightshades. If you still have further to go with symptom relief, that's when you can tool around with like avoiding all lectins and go on, like Kyle was saying, an elimination style diet with lectins. But I don't think for the general population, we need to avoid them at all cost. I really, really don't. I, um, you guys know I deal with some joint pain on and off. And um, I find that if I go I go heavy and hard with um, with nightshades. I'll notice that I get a little bit of like itching in my joints. I'll definitely notice it. Um, so I just try not to go like go crazy. Like I don't, you know, eat like a ton of peppers and like red sauce in one night. Um, but if I kind of space it out sporadically, then it's fine. You know, bell peppers are like such nutrient dense foods. I don't want to avoid them for the rest of my life just for the sake of it. So that's kind of my take on it. Does that all make sense? Yeah. I agree. Cool. All right. Well, that's all. That's all, cool. folks. All right. We will um, catch you later. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. 